Welcome to the next episode of the Beck Business Cluster Shadowboard podcast. Today we're joined by Michael Pemberton, who is the current CEO of Beck and also a commercial helicopter pilot. Throughout this podcast, we're going to look at some of Michael's previous roles, including working for Woolworths and also being a British Army officer. But so firstly, Michael, uh, welcome. And just generally, how are things going? Well, thank you very much and uh, very excited to be part of the, uh, the podcast. Uh, how are things going? Spectacularly. They always are. Uh, but we are working hard, obviously, with our North Shore scheme. And there'll be many people listening in today who will be very aware of the exciting developments we've got for the bus station and the hotel, of course, but also the office. Um, so from a development point of view, keeping us very busy. And from a Westlake's point of view, which, of course, is a site that we own, is equally keeping us as busy, particularly when trying to do something more engaging, if you like, with the landscape that we have here. We're blessed with some significant landscapes, so it's not just about buildings, it's about doing more with the landscape. So, Michael, people know you for your work with Beck in the area. Just briefly talk about some of those headline projects that you're working on and sort of how far along we are and, and when we might see them come to fruition. Yes, so... so I, I, it would it would strike me that some people are aware of Beck or think they know about Beck. So let me be let me try and outline what Beck is. Beck used to stand for Britain's Energy Coast. We'd much prefer to be known as building extraordinary communities. Uh, and and why? Well, well, we, we have three areas of, in my view, accountability as a company. Number one is to look after the estates that we own and operate, and they would include the likes of West Lakes, Moss Bay in in Workington. Lily Hall uh, elements there and near Keswick or Blaine Cathra. So we need to do more with what we have and we need to create better landscapes. The, the second one is our development and that's why people will know who we are and know of what our aspirations are and particularly around Whitehaven and the wonderful harbour of Whitehaven. So our plans there are bringing forward a fantastic bus station co collab space if you like where people can collide and have great ideas and encourage new entrepreneurial companies to do something outstanding actually beyond what they ever dreamed about and couple that with great food and uh, and dining experiences i'll be sure uh, i hope a massive hit we're also bringing forward a hotel four-star hotel 100 bed and a hundred thousand square foot office space and of course the associated parking around 700 spaces so you asked me about timing and everyone always asks me about timing so the bus station you can't help but notice is is now under construction uh, a real momentous day for us that when we appointed the contractor Thomas Armstrong, a local contractor to boot. So uh, really, really great progress there. We are getting very close to agreeing an operator, believe it or not, for the hotel. So we have, uh, we, we've always had a preferred choice and we've worked really hard with that operator. So that, that's something that I think and hope we'll be able to break the news of very shortly. And the office is moving as we would expect. So we set a deadline of around 2021 for this to be in place. That doesn't change. We are still on course for that. So that was a really good introduction to, to what Beck is. But really, we want to know a bit more about you. So where did it all start for you? Where are you from? Where's your upbringing? What was your family life like? You know, what were your first couple of roles? What was your education? Just where did it all start? Well, it's, it's probably not where you, where you think it starts, actually. I'm a, I'm a Lancastrian by, by birth, I'm very proud of that. Actually, I was born in a seaside town called Morecambe on the northwest coast, um, and and was brought up in Morecambe, schooled in in Morecambe and Hesham, 
and then we moved down to Northampton when I was around 13. My father was in newspapers, actually. He was, uh, started life as an apprentice printer and worked his way up to end up becoming the chief exec or managing director of the Daily Express, actually. So, so as a family, we, we, we moved around quite a lot. My, my education years are, are a blur, if I'm being really, really honest. Uh, I was only talking about this with my parents the other day, actually. I can't remember any of my teachers. I have no friends from school, from school days, at all. Uh, and for me, it was just, I couldn't wait to leave. I um, still am, actually. I was, I was very badly dyslexic and uh, did not very well in any of my exams, if I'm being honest. Uh, and I left school when I was 15, 15 and a half, I think it, I think it was in those days, with a few, at uh, that time, CSEs and a couple of O-levels, etc. And, and uh, thought, right, the only way I can get on here is to, is to go into work and to do work. I had a burning ambition, I've got to say. I had a burning ambition. I cannot describe it other than I wanted to do something different and I wanted to lead people. One thing I was always good at was sport. I was a captain of the football team, the rugby team, the hockey team, believe it or not. I hated hockey, uh, cricket, I hated cricket actually as well, um, athletics, I represented the county at athletics. I, so so I, I knew that I could, I, could, I, could do something, I could do something great and I could also take people with me on that. So I had that at the heart, but I was never going to get into those kind of roles, ever. Or, or, or could I? And why should I be any different? Why can't I do something different? Um, so I, I, I ended up doing a few jobs. I, I became a, a trainee welder, believe it or not, uh, and doing a JCB roll cages, etc. Really dull stuff, if I'm honest. Uh, I then joined British Shoe Corporation as a management trainee, and that was my first break in life, and that was in Northampton. So management trainee, and I was a management trainee for a year. And I then went on a 10-week residential course in Birmingham. I remember that very well. And then maybe 30 of us started this 10-week residential course. And by the end of it, there was like four of us left. And I was one of them. I was one of them. I couldn't believe it. These things don't happen to me. So there I am. And I've now qualified as a, as a store manager or as a shop manager. And so my first real area of responsibility in the, in the commercial world, so to speak, was with uh, Saxone. And people won't remember Saxon or Dolces and Freeman Hardy Willis and that. Shoe shops. And at that day, shoe shops were all over the high street. You couldn't buy shoes anywhere else. You just had to go to the, to, to the, to the shops. So that was my first real break, if you like. Um, and then from British Shoe Corporation, I moved to Woolworths, I think. It, well, yes, it was Woolworths. And I started Woolworths. And, and my attitude was, you go where the work is. You want to get on. You put yourself out there, and you want to make a difference. Then don't 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 be shy. Just just go and do something. Go and do something and make it happen. So, I decided to go down to London, and I became a um, an assistant manager, an assistant store manager for Woolworths, and that was in Hackney, in the uh, hard East End of London. Um, and I was I did that for a little while, and very very quickly was promoted to store manager and then very quickly area manager and then regional development manager. I was in fact the youngest regional development manager that Woolworths had had. And I progressed at speed there. I ended up running the southeast 
in, in terms of London, very challenging area. I remember, I remember with fondness actually, um, there was an area in the west of London, Wembley, the Wembley area, and it was performing, it was the worst area in the whole country in terms of the company-wide. And um, it was when Chicken Run came out, and it was about chickens, we can fly, we can fly, we can believe this. And I took all my managers to Leicester Square to watch the film we can do this. We can get ourselves out of this. You've just got to believe you can do it. That was your idea of a motivational podcast. It was. It was. <laughs> and a free movie as well. There you are. Yeah. So, so I remember that. And um, uh, yeah, so that was uh, one of those memorable moments. Um, along that journey, I, I then um, wanted to join the army. So I joined the army, went to uh, military college, Sandhurst Military College. And uh, became uh, ultimately, I ended up becoming the commanding officer of something called 148 Squadron, which is uh, which is Royal Logistical Corps. And uh, that was um, that was a real uh, buzz for me, a real highlight for me. And it was when it first started clicking for me that actually um, there is a greater demand here. There's a greater need. There's a greater purpose. Uh, so all of the roles that I did before, there was an unease in me. There was an unrest in me. I, 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 I can't describe it. Uh, I believe I am where I am today because that's where I'm meant to be. I believe that all the roles I've done in the past have led me to this point today. And the role I'm doing today will lead me to the next post thereafter. I've just got to be alert to it and I've just got to recognise it and I've got to watch for the signs and then I've got to grab it with both hands. And don't let go. Don't let go. So with, with, with the British Army, I was very proud to be a member of the British Army. In fact, I've been very proud of everything I've ever done. But I was very proud to be a member of the British Army, and particularly the areas that we had responsibility for. And those areas of responsibility were about providing welfare to UK forces in combatal zones. They're called theatres, if you like. And they were particularly in, in Iraq at the time that we went into Iraq, and we were operating across nine areas, and in Afghanistan a bit later on, and we were operating across a number of areas there. And our job was to try and create something that had a sense of home and, and they weren't thousands of miles away fighting in an area which they had no real knowledge of why they were there. So, so we developed a number of concepts, brand new designs. We, 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 we actually, one of, the, one of the highlights, and it might not sound much this, but it was a really big deal. We, um, we developed and implemented our very own kind of Costa Coffee stroke Starbucks operation. And trust me when I tell you that, you're going to put that into somewhere like Shiber or Camp Bastion or Basra. So Basra and Shiber Log Base in Iraq. The logistics associated with getting a coffee shop, literally a coffee shop set up, were, were mind-boggling. And you could quite easily have given up. So it was a really fine day when we opened it, and we had David Beckham come out and open, open that store for us, our shop. And they were absolutely identical to the one you'd see in a high street. But the only difference, the only difference, as you came through the door, there was this huge contraption, and that was where you put your rifles, your SA-80s. So it was a coffee <laughs> shop with a, with a gun rack, basically, as well. So um, that, that was really fulfilling. So not, was it, we, I wasn't just responsible, however, for combat zones. I was responsible for a worldwide remit. So we operated in the Falkland Islands, Ascension Islands, Belize, Brunei, Kenya, Germany, Gibraltar, Cyprus. I would spend around 285 days a year away 
from home. Across all of those places? Across, across all of those platforms, yeah. And then from the British Army, basically the two roles merged. So my next role, which was the Navy Army Air Force Institute and the British Army, they merged. And therefore I was continuing to do what I was doing, but through a Ministry of Defence post, if you like, rather than a British Army post. And we were delivering uh, welfare solutions for families now as well. Um, so that was that was the army. I've also done a stint as a leadership coach. So um, again, a very fulfilling role, and that was what I was meant to do. I was I was a trained facilitator for something called Seven Habits, which was Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I would train people how to break boards, so boards of wood, and I would coach you for half a day on how you can break the board. And the breaking the board was a metaphor for breaking through your barriers. What's holding you back? There's nothing holding you back because, believe it or not, you can break through. So I did that, really enjoyed that enormously, but missed something and, and, and realized that what I was doing was going into companies or working with individuals, helping them to aspire, helping them to become something, and then walk away. And what I recognized was that the joy for me was about working with people and seeing them grow and being part of that growth, not just dropping in and then dropping out again. So, um, it, 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 whilst, so with new skills, I went back into, into the, if you like, the, the commercial landscape. And that commercial landscape took me to national car parks. I paused there, I paused there for, for, um, for effect. Yes, NCP, the National Car Parks. What, what was I thinking of? <laughs> um, but, but absolutely had a ball, had a, had a hoot. So, so joined that organisation, first of all, as the managing director of a joint venture company in Manchester. And that joint venture company was a joint venture between Manchester City Council and NCP. And it really struck me quite early on that, that when I was talking to the team of that company, we never once talked about customers. We simply talked about users. Mm. And, and what also struck me was that we were directly opposed. So everything that the car parks were stood absolutely directly opposite what Manchester City Council were trying to achieve, i.e. less traffic in the town centre, reducing pollution, etc., etc. So, first of all, um, I love a challenge. Absolutely love it. I adore a challenge. I think, right, okay, so how do we get this to work? for everybody. How do we get it to work for the commuter? How do we get it to work for a shopper? How do we get it to work for the council and the owners? And one of the biggest issues we had in Manchester at that time was the Arndale shopping centre had a car park, 1,200 spaces, huge thing. But, but basically commuters, workers, were driving into the heart of the city every morning and parking in that car park. But when you wanted to go in for shopping, you couldn't park there. So if you think about it, it was having direct opposite effect of what you were trying to achieve in terms of bringing prosperity into that area. So um, we introduced a brand new charging mechanism. Um, we penalised heavily people who wanted to park in the centre of Manchester for all day. I think it went up to £25, £30, which at that time was excessive. In fact, I was on Radio 4, the Today programme once, trying to justify why King Street, another car park in Manchester, was the highest outside the city of London, the West End of London. And I said, I don't have to justify it. People were there, it was full every day. People were paying for it. Um, but but on, a, on a serious note, what, what, we, what we decided to do was work in collaboration on a number of things. So when I took over that business, I spent hours and hours and hours in it. 
and I would, I would walk around every night and I would be appalled by the sense of homelessness. I'd be appalled by the amount of drug use. I'd be appalled at how many scared females we had trying to go back to their cars because of vagrancy and so on going on. And our attitude prior was just to kick them out, move them on. But it wasn't arresting an issue. It wasn't sorting out a challenge. So for me, managing car parks was a byproduct. This, was, this became much, much more than that. We had 47 significant land assets in the heart of Manchester city centre. What is the best way of getting the value for that and also dealing with social problems? So we set out and created joint venture working partnerships with Greater Manchester Police Authority, Transport Authority, third, um, at the third sector agencies and so on. At one point I nearly turned a, a multi-storey car park, Church Street, into a hostel, huge hostel kind of thing, to say well, how would, this is how we will deal with that. Um, we ended up winning... I was I, so this is me going from nothing, not not a, nothing. I know nothing about parking, other than I used to park myself. But to run a parking company, knew nothing about it. Twelve months on, becoming and, and being and being voted the um, uh, an accolade I'm very very uh, um, uh, proud of was uh, director of the year voted for by the British Parking Association. <laughs> doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any better than that. I can tell you. Um, but we, we turned something and we created something. I moved, I, I moved all our personnel out of, out of car parks and put them onto bikes. We bought a fleet of smart cars and got them whizzing around the city because they were there to support and to help and to intervene. I had all my operatives trained by the police. They were community officers. So we, we did something very different and that got me promoted. I didn't want to go. There were times, actually there are times in life when you think you've got to make a decision and, and on reflection, you probably think that was the wrong decision. So you can regret that all you like, but it's not going to change it. But you can learn from it. So w w should, did I move on from that joint venture company too soon? Yes, on reflection, I did. I was promoted to become National Airports Director for NCP. That took me across every single airport in the country. And I was responsible for managing those relationships with massive, huge companies running airports. And from that, I became Partnerships Director, and then from that, I be ultimately became the Managing Director for NCP. Wow. So, um, but it was hard. And, 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 did, did I, uh, and did I ultimately uh, enjoy the role of Managing Director of NCP? No, I didn't. And, and I recognised very quickly that what the organisation was trying to achieve was directly opposed to what I wanted and my values. So you reach a point of choice in your life. And that choice is, does this still feel right for you? Do you feel you're contributing or not? And if the answer is not, what are you prepared to do? I was prepared to walk away and not waste my time. I don't have long. None of us have that long. So where I'm going to apply my energy is where I'm going to make the biggest difference to a community, um, a team. And that's what I did. So I left, I left NCP, hadn't got a clue what I was going to do, if I'm being honest, not a clue. I walked away. But if there's one thing, if there's one thing that life has taught me, when, when, you, when you're growing up, and you, we, we talked about my father, and, and, and he, he uh, ultimately began uh, doing really well uh, at the Express newspapers. Dad, dad um, was an apprentice printer. Mum and dad got married when they were 20, and I'm going to disclose something here, and they got married because I was on the way. Okay, and Dad had five jobs, 
five jobs. Uh, and that was a lot of jobs to have in Morecambe, and it's a lot of jobs to have in anyone's imagination, Same. including Ice Cream Man. Um, he won Opportunity Knox, the youngest winner of Opportunity Knox, as an accordionist. It was one of these squeezy box contraption <laughs> things. And he ended up playing for Eric Morecambe, who was in Eric Morecambe's band. He was a billboard poster thingy, someone who puts up billboard posters, and a couple of others, as well as being an apprentice printer. And um, so, and we, we lived in a very small council house, uh, and I have a brother who lives in Northampton. So that, that, was our, that was our upbringing, but I was always loved. I don't remember my parents ever coming to a parents' evening, and I don't remember my parents ever coming to watch me play football or cricket or anything like that, because they just didn't have the time. So I accepted that. But when you bring brought up, and you already feel at a disadvantage, because there are people reading things and you can't read them, or you can't spell them, or you're writing something in such a way that actually people just cannot understand what you're saying and therefore they're asking you, what does that say? And you can say, oh, well, that's that. And you, you're able to, it's a cop-out, basically, if, if I'm honest. And then someone bought me a book called The Gift of Dyslexia, which the irony isn't lost. So you, you, you give someone with dyslexia a book to say, here you go, read that. It's The Gift of Dyslexia. Oh, okay, thanks. Do they not have it on story tape or something like that, maybe? Um, but it was about how creative, where you lose on one side, you gain on the other. And I'm absolutely believe, I absolutely believe that. Now, it's a long answer to your question that you asked me. Do I, did I believe what I was going to do? No, but I've always believed in myself. I think you've made some really, really interesting points there and the journey you've come from is, is fantastic. And I think one point just to pick up on there is, is the you mentioned your values. So how, you have your values and when you're doing something, you think, I'm going to make this is going against what I believe in and which what what happened mm -hmm. and you stepped away and, and I think even though you went maybe went to a vulnerable position at that point it was still very important for you for, for your for your future and your development that you kept your core values and that's something we're really trying to push mm -hmm. through um the shadow board's personal development um kind of theme um and looking at getting young people to understand like look at yourself who are, who are you as a person and using that to springboard your career yeah. rather than trying to shape yourself um, you know to be the next Michael to be the next you know Paul Foster to be the next whoever be you and then you'll succeed rather than the other way around so I think that's a really good point certainly yeah you're absolutely right and I think that everyone at some point or another in their life will look at themselves in a mirror and will not recognise the person that's, that's staring back at them. And that's not, that's not a cliche or anything like that. That's actually a fact. And if that hasn't happened to you, then fantastic, you're gifted. Because it happened to me, and, and I recognised very clearly that I was becoming someone that I just didn't like. And therefore, I, is that what you're prepared to do? You're prepared to go through your life not really liking yourself? No. So you've got to be courageous and you've got to, you've, got to have a, you've got to have a belief. And that belief, before you do anything else, if you want to lead people, if you want to lead people, you've got to believe in yourself. Because no one else will believe you if you don't believe in yourself. So you talk about, you talk about values. At the heart of my value tree is something called self-worth. Right at the very heart. And that is that I want to feel good about myself. I want to love myself. And I want to know that what I'm doing is actually having a huge impact. Not just on the grand level, but at a local level, a small level. I want to know that every interaction I have with an individual is meaningful. I don't, I don't take from someone. I don't steal from you. I don't take your energy. I, I want you to feel, when we finish this conversation, I want you to think, you know what, that was really good. Really enjoyed that. 
And I want to feel the same. So if you have that, if you have something, if you have an anchor, then you, you can build from that. And yes, of course, you have around your core value, you have others. And mine are things like integrity and, and honesty. So, and, and I also have something around humility. It, it's, it's, um, it isn't about Michael Pemberton. Never has been. It's, but it's always been about what can Michael do to make a difference in the areas that I've been asked to, asked to go into. And how does my involvement enrich someone else's life? And that's a very genuine point. For example, with NCP, one of the worst feelings you can have as a human being is to feel hollow and empty. And, and I was feeling hollow and empty. I was being very well rewarded, very well rewarded, but it meant nothing. And that, again, that sounds really cliche, but it, but it wasn't. So a bold step, walk away from it, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But very quickly, actually, um, I did two things. One, I set up my own company called Peppermint. And Peppermint was a parking company, actually. Right. <laughs> and I wanted it to be mint. I wanted it to be <laughs> yeah. the best one going, yeah. okay? Peppermint. Uh, and I wanted, to be, I wanted to change an industry. I wanted to say that we can do things, but we can do it differently. We can make people have a very good experience and they can enjoy that experience. So I set up my own company at the same time. I was fortunate enough to be invited to come along and have a chat with the National Trust, an organisation that I've always had a lot of respect and enjoyed enormously, given that my hobbies include mountaineering and fell walking and all that kind of stuff. So it was fantastic to go along and to work with and become a part of the team within Cumbria, actually. So that's where I ended up coming back to Cumbria because I was asked to take over the Cumbrian element of the National Trust, and that included outstanding landscapes, uh, including uh, Sizer, Fellfoot Park, and, and so on and so on. And I was blessed to enjoy working with some fantastic people there. And very quickly, I was, moved, I was promoted again, <laughs> and uh, I became head of commercial strategy, retail and catering strategy, which took me to Swindon. Um, running, running a company called Peppermint and being now heavily involved in a commercial entity down in Swindon literally became too difficult. And the, the, the joy is that we'd created something in Peppermint that I was able to move on to a company called Purple Parking. Peppermint and Purple. Anyway, so onto Purple Parking, and we were able to do something really great there. So that was moved on and, and sold, and that freed me up to then immerse myself with the National Trust in full down in Swindon doing the commercial strategy. And the commercial strategy was really important because people, again, were going into National Trust shops and cafes, and it was the same everywhere. And yet, if you went into Sizer, you wanted to experience Lakeland cuisine, Lakeland food and that. So why weren't we doing that? So our strategy was all about localism. How do you get the very best from the local area that you're in? And more importantly, how can you sometimes take people back to the experience that, that, that may have had 100, 200 years ago? Something like that. So that was really, really great. Really enjoyed that. Really, really enjoyed that. And then again, from there, uh, I was presented with an opportunity to join uh, the team at Westmoreland. Uh, T-based services, etc. And I headed up the team at Reged, which is a visitor centre uh, on Junction 40 in Penrith. Massive, 100,000 square feet. And uh, I met a, a great character there called Peter Sidwell, who's a, a, a local chef. And between us, I guess, we started to say, look, how can we do things differently here? 
and we built the Reghead story on a number of principles. Number one was all about food and how can you have great food stories. Number two was how can you help retailers and local artisan producers do the very best they can be and, and then open that as a market and also have just a great experience in a tourist attraction or a visitor attraction. One of the challenges of Reghead was at the time it had a huge and still has a huge cinema screen but it was never allowed to show latest movies. So all it, all it was allowed to do was show old movies. Mm-hmm. And that was a covenant that had been put on it when it was built. And uh, the one thing they hadn't taken into account was the times change. So we had this huge screen with fantastic seating, 270-seat auditorium, and something called live streaming was just coming out. And I said, we could become the home of live streaming. We could go after that. We did deals with Royal Shakespeare Company. We did, we did loads and loads of different things. And we were filling the cinema with live streaming events. And we had food as well. So you could, t- you could buy a table, if you like, for the night. And so, on. so we had great experiences there. Great fun. Things that had actually probably developed along my journey, particularly with the National Trust as well, in terms of events, putting on events and that. So that was, that was uh, Reggae. And then from there, I'm going to say something, and people will just probably be sick in a bucket or something like that, but, but my work was done. So, so there's, there's times, there are times when you need to know it's now time to move on. So again, uh, that was another leap of faith. I thought, right, I'm going, to, I'm going to pursue a dream now, and I'm going to become a commercial helicopter pilot. Wow. So I was able to, I applied to different... Um, flight schools, if you like, and I was successful in one in Leicester called Heli Centre Aviation, and I was enlisted onto something called their Pro Course, which is something called Pro Blades, really great title. But basically, I was sponsored. I won a, a scholarship to become a helicopter pilot, and uh, what a what a hoot! What an absolute blast! More than Carhartt, so. Oh, it was. It, in fact. Mm, was it? Yeah. Yes. It, yes. Yes. It, yes. It was. It was. I had an absolute ball um, to fly helicopters. From never being able to fly a helicopter to now flying helicopters for a living at that time became uh, just a boyhood stuff, actually. And I still and I still love it to this day. Um, I don't tend to do a lot of commercial work or anything like that. A lot of it is now private and so on. But to to do it and to take people on joy flights, pleasure flights over Leicester. At that, you know, over the Leicester football ground, over the Leicester Tigers stadium, and all this kind of stuff, it was, it was great fun. We did so many, so many great things. And and if you again, another another, I'm, I'm all over the place here. Sorry, folks. But but another really good example is that how how sometimes um, you forget what you're doing. So there we are, we're flying helicopters and we're giving, we're giving rides to people who are absolutely left speechless because it's an amazing thing that they've never done it in their life. This is amazing. And for us, it was just same old, same old. And you forget sometimes just how cool it is, well, yeah. the things that you're doing. And that, so um, did that, really enjoyed it. Um, but it was quite lonely. I've got, I've, got to be, I've got to be honest, it was quite lonely. I had an ambition... Uh, when I wanted to go into helicoptering and a lot of people have this vision that they want to go and do um, oil rig work or wind turbine work and that's a lot of money to to fly and to do that 
Reality is that you need around a thousand hours, you need twin, tur twin turbine hours, and that it costs an absolute fortune and would take years for you to get to that level. Which is right, because you're, you're flying significant helicopters and delivering people to platforms in very challenging environments. So mm -hmm. you need to be the very best you can be. Mine, my aspiration and my vision, and arguably still is, is to deliver aid or to support in areas where poverty or war is is rife. So when I when I look at the TV today, I think one of the biggest scandals ever is our response to Syria. And you think about how many millions of people have been displaced through the actions of an individual, arguably. I don't want to get political, but the actions of an of of one individual how is that acceptable in our world today? And we stand by and just watch it happen virtually. Now, one of my most, most uh, driving points was about delivering aid and doing things differently in these, in these areas. And that's still something I would still love to do, still focused on doing. So yes, so that, that's one of the, one of the aspirations I, I want to still do. Uh, on, on a personal level, listen, you, it doesn't, doesn't get much better than flying over the Lake District, I've got to say. One of the finest moments for me was uh, I was landing at the Swan Hotel in Newby Bridge. I felt like a rock star, <laughs> actually. Uh, I wasn't, of course, uh, and therefore left people disappointed when I got out. But uh, it was it just, and you realize, I know, it's, I know it sounds, it's, again, it's a cliche, but when, when you're on the ground, or when you're in this beautiful place that we live, we take it for granted. When you, if you hover up or get above it, you recognize what a stunning place we live in. And don't take it for granted because it, it really doesn't deserve to be taken for granted. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess that's one of the, one of the positives, or one of the Brucey bonuses that I can get from it. All very good stuff, Michael. Um, obviously, there's a lot of roles there. There's a lot of time away from, from family and um, a lot of stress potentially with all these quite senior roles. How do you like to relax and unwind and sort of escape things a little bit? Um, it's interesting you say there's... Um, there's a lot of time away and so on. My wife, Sarah, uh, we've been married for nearly four years, five years, nearly four years. Gosh, is it that long? Anyway, so, um, and, and I've led up to that point and to, into, up to meeting Sarah. I could, the best way to describe myself was a nomad. I, 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 just, I, just, I just went where I believed I was meant to be. And, and that was it. Um, you, you talk about stress. Yes, there have been times when that has been incredibly difficult for me. Um, the NCP story was a very difficult story for me and um, left me considering whether any of this was really worthwhile. So again, understanding those signs, recognizing them, and then being brave enough to go and speak to someone about what you're feeling and what it is you can do about it, if anything. My, my view has always been to try and keep busy and to try and keep doing something that, that matters. And whilst it might sound just a, a, like a, I'm just saying it for, for effect, it, it really does matter. You've got to put your heart and soul into what you're doing. Put, give it everything, give it every single thing you have because if you don't, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss something. Something will pass you by. So give it everything you have. And, uh, and then at least you can say you did your best. So in terms of relaxing, I do lots of stuff. 
actually nowhere near as much as I used to, but I love climbing, love, uh, I was trying to complete the seven summits across the globe, I was part of the army mountaineering team, uh, so trying to do the seven summits across the globe, still have an aspiration to, to climb Everest, and that's a genuine aspiration to climb Everest, I've done some of the highest mountains in the world already. Uh, love fellow walking, I was fellow walking since the age of four, it's something my father did, and I hated every second of it, and then started to love every minute of it. Um, love um, keep fit, I've got my own little gym in my garage, Blooming cold in winter, but I like trying to keep fit. Um, love the theatre, love love socialising out with, with friends, saying that I don't have any, so it doesn't take much uh, to do that. Uh, Where actually are you based currently then? Whereabouts are you living? I, I live, uh, or oh, we live, excuse me, we live in a place called Stainburn, which is just outside Workington, actually. And um, it's a good place, central location. Um, and Sarah works in Whitehaven, uh, so it's a it's a good location for a good us, setup, really. sure. Yeah. yeah. So just bringing it back to Beck then, and to today, Michael, with the massive push in the world that's now on the carbon agenda and the and the net zero by twenty fifty or even sooner, what is Beck doing in all its operations to try and achieve that, and how is it demonstrating it's got a social conscience as well in the community? Yes. Um, Great question and very relevant, but has been at our heart since since I came in and restructured the organisation. It's called our Golden Thread, and it it binds our organisation together. And it's around in everything we do, how can we reduce carbon, consciously and unconsciously. So, at a local level, it's every individual within our organisation. What are they doing on a day to day basis to keep to keep carbon or to reduce carbon? But on a grand scale. We have every opportunity to do that through our developments. So when we talk about the developments for the North Shore, we want them to be what we call net zero carbon. So, i.e., um, we'll build them, but but uh, and we will build them in a way that tries to reduce as much carbon as we possibly can. But then by operating them, we operate them with virtually no carbon at all. Uh, and we and we're doing that through uh, design. We're doing that through materials, and we're doing that through creating an old our own energy system, energy grids, and um, and storage, battery storage, and, and so on. So that that is relatively easy, if not if not demanding. And as an organisation, we were tested. So with the bus station recently, this was where you talk about a value, or you live a value. So. We, we, we were tested on the bus station. When we were going out to contract, it came in and we put in a number of carbon reduction me uh, measures, things that were going to take carbon out of the environment or things that were going to uh, pollute zero carbon or, or things, like, things like that. And it inflated the construction costs, way, way over a million pounds for construction. And... Um, you're faced, with, you're faced with some very challenging questions then about, well, do we stop the development altogether? No, because this matters to people. Do you, do you, just, do you just drop all the expensive carbon reduction elements and move on? The team chose the reduction, i.e., let's drop all the carbon reduction measures. Let's take them out. We can get to our number. We can achieve it. In fact, we did achieve it. What did you think I said? Okay, I said that's very good. Well done. Uh, now put them all back in. Yeah. <laughs> now put them all back in. I have a saying: there is another way. There is always another way. Now put them back in, and let's find another way. And we did find another way. 
And I'm really proud to say the team rose to the challenge, as did the contractor, Thomas Armstrong. We rose, or we raised our game to that challenge. But that was the first real test of our company coming up against what is driven by economics. So why does it cost more money to reduce carbon than it is to build something that emits loads of carbon? It's wrong. It's outrageous. So, so that was a real test. So that's at a construction level in terms of new build. At our, at our existing estates, such as uh, Westlake's here, we are working on implementing what they call a microgrid system. So we will, this will be self-energy generating and will store its own energy and release its own energy and even hopefully produce enough energy for us to then feed it into a grid with a token view to say actually it goes into areas of fuel poverty. So you talk about what Beck doing about trying to help areas where they've got challenges. Well, we're trying to do a number of things, but one of them is around arresting fuel poverty through energy generation on our assets and then moving it into areas where they would benefit from it, if you like. Just like to say thank you very much, then, Michael. That was an absolutely fantastic discussion. I think there's some really, really good points for especially young people to take up from that, from your journey, from your story. Um, and yeah, just thanks very much and uh, good luck with everything that's uh, going on in Beck and obviously all your future roles and stuff like that. And thank you very much. And, and good luck to you, actually. And in fact, good luck to you both and the Beck Business Cluster and the Shadow Board. I think it's a fantastic thing. I really do. In fact, I'm very envious of it because I wish I'd come up with it first. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. Thank Cheers. Thank you.